famed theologian Reinhold Niebuhr always made a point of finding a Christmas Eve service to attend without a sermon. This will not be one of those services. He had nothing against sermons, being a preacher himself, but his view was that it's just not possible to do justice to Christmas in a sermon. The miracle is simply too big, the wonder too deep, the beauty too great for words. Preaching on Christmas is something like hearing the most moving musical performance of your life, and then instead of sitting there for a moment of silence and just soaking it in, the fellow sitting in the next row turns around and starts telling you exactly what he thinks. I'm afraid that's my job tonight. Niebuhr thought it's best just to skip it all together and leave Christmas to the poets, the artists, and the musicians. To just get to silent night and light our candles in the dark and lose ourselves in wonder, love, and praise. Well, it may have been wiser to do that. But I thought it was my job as a minister to get up here and give it a shot, inadequate as it may turn out to be. It's worth it to try, I thought. If only because we've heard the story so many times that it'd be hard to hear what they're really saying. It's also worth it, I think. Because the joy of the heart of Christmas is so great that there are always people who come to church for Christmas who maybe haven't been for a long time, or at least haven't been with us. So I thought to myself, what if there's someone who came and isn't sure if the story is true, maybe isn't sure about the church in general, but felt like they needed to be here tonight? Or what if there's someone here from out of town visiting relatives for the holiday who didn't necessarily want to come, but maybe the kind of look they might get if they didn't. So you're here. Well, whoever you may be, and whyever you may be here, I want to welcome you to worship tonight. We're all glad you're here. For better or for worse, this sermon is for you. From another Christmas story. The Word became flesh. And it came to pass in those days that there went up a decree 
Caesar, Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. And all men to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, into the city of Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his spouse's wife, being great with the child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. Well, in my view, the poets from the court of King James and Linus in the Peanuts Christmas special got it right. Here, indeed, is a story that's worthy of the poet's craft, of Shakespearean language, something of great beauty, peace, and joy, worthy of every single second spent on it by Handel, Da Vinci, Bach, and countless artists throughout 2,000 years. And yet, and yet, all of the beauty and majesty, the wonder of the season, can I think cause us sometimes to forget what's right here in front of our eyes. <coughs> Joseph and Mary, after all, weren't noble lords and ladies, the kind of people whose child is usually announced with trumpets and poems and black tie balls. Far from it. They were nobodies. There was no reason whatsoever for the Roman historians in Caesar's court to take note of these peasants and write down their story with fine literary art and poetry as Bible. Now the king of kings and lord of lords was not born in a palace, but in a barn. No midwife is mentioned in the story. And even if there had been the best of care, any pregnancy back then was always going to be a matter, a question of life and death. To make things worse, because of some heartless, greedy, imperial decree, they had to travel for about 80 miles by foot and donkey, just when teenage Mary was right about to give birth. As the story mentions, they weren't even married. Not yet, anyway. The story tells us they were still only engaged to be married, and the shame attached to unwed mothers in those days was strong. There is, in short, every reason in the world to imagine the Holy Family that night in Bethlehem, exhausted, frightened, ashamed. Living on the edge in a smelly, dirty, back alley barn with no idea if they would all make it through the night and what would be 
Does that, does that sound beautiful to you? Does it sound glorious and majestic and noble or peaceful? Is this the kind of story that sounds like one day it's going to be written by poets in the court of King James, set to music by Handel or painted by the Vinci? Would the ancient Roman equivalents in Caesar's palace have given half a second's thought to any of It's hard to imagine. And yet, it all came to pass. God swept them up in the greatest story of them all. And the tale of Joseph and Mary and their baby boy is told all around the world tonight, set to music celebrated by countless feasts. And all Caesar is king of anymore is a casino in Las Vegas. There is a painting by a director that I love. We have a reproduction of it at home. It's of the shepherds coming to find Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in him just like they said. In the painting, Everyone is luminous and dignified, as beautiful and graceful as dancers in that heart. The light of the painting seems like it's shining out of the Christ child himself, and from him into the eyes of the shepherds, who are giving these deep, courtly vows, as if their noble lords come to a palace to pay homage to a great prince. Yet, they were in a barn. And the passerby in Bethlehem had come upon that very same scene that night. I imagine he would have seen nothing more than uncouth, smelling, ragged country boy shepherds. The only visitors of exhausted, scared, but happy new parents of a helpless child lying in a feed trough. Of you. 
beauty, joy, justice, and peace. and we'll confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father of the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God,
Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Amen. Amen. 